Well, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, and I'm going to be reading a good chunk of that chapter, though sermon itself, and I'll explain that a little bit, is going to come pretty much from the, the, the back end of that or middle to the end. But I want to read uh, verses 1 to 21 to give us the whole context of that story. So Luke chapter 2, 1 to 21, and if you are able and willing, as is our custom, would you please stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God. <clears throat> this is the Word of the Lord. In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he's pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me, please? God in heaven, would you now take your word and meet it with your spirit in our hearts? And mold us and make us into the men, women, and children that you've called us to be. Would you exalt the name of the living Christ in our midst? Again, not simply because he was a baby born. But he was the one born king. The one who would live and die and rise again. For his people, for your people. So Lord, teach us, we pray, by your spirit. Where we need to be encouraged, encourage us. Where we need to be fed, feed us. Where we need to be comforted, comfort us. Oh Lord, 
where we need to be reproved, even reprove us. And if need be, if we need to be rebuked, would you do so? We ask all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Please be seated. Last week we learned of that wonderful passage of Scripture where uh, Luke records for us the prophecy of Zechariah, who is John the Baptist's father. And just to remind ourselves, I want us to be reminded of that which Zechariah said. He said this, he said, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David, his servant, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy toward our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to Abraham, our father. Sometimes I think in the midst of all that goes on during this time of year, we forget that which we are celebrating. But as we read Zacharias' words here, we are reminded of something. Zechariah understood the magnitude of what was taking place with the birth of this child. God was fulfilling His promises to His people. It was God who did this. It was God who, as He said, visited us and accomplished salvation or accomplished redemption. It's interesting, isn't it? All other religions work from the perspective of earth to heaven. That is to say, other religions are all about man's efforts to reach God Man's efforts to somehow get to heaven, to find salvation. But the message that we're reminded of at Christmas time is really a simple one. Yes, it is profound, but it's also simple. God has visited us. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not about man going to God, it is about God coming to man. Paul says it this way in that very familiar, wonderful passage in Philippians 2, where he says, Who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Christmas, what we celebrate this time of year, is about the incarnation of Christ Jesus. It is the story from heaven to earth, not earth to heaven. It's about God coming in the flesh to walk among us. It's about God visiting us and accomplishing redemption for us. So this Christmas season, over these next few days, may we not lose sight of the significance of that which we celebrate. I'm afraid sometimes that in the midst of the chaos we do just that. Sometimes I think we lose sight of the very reason we rejoice. The very reason we celebrate. Yes, it, it's the birth of a child. 
But he is no ordinary child. He is no, he is no mere child, no mere birth. This birth that we celebrate at Christmas was no mere birth. But it was God himself who humbled himself and was laid in the manger. This is the Christ child, the Messiah, the long-awaited one to come. So as we look at our passage here, as I said a moment ago, I read the whole of it, but our time is going to be spent really between verses 8 to 20 if you want to kind of keep it where we're going to be. But I want us to notice five responses here to this coming of the King that really I, I think is appropriate for us, that we'll see the application. How do we respond to the coming of the King? So we're first going to look at a proper fear. Then we're going to move to proper trust, and then a proper message, proper wonder, and then finally a proper praise. And I'll move pretty quickly uh, toward these five points. Let's look first, shall we, to a proper fear. And look with me to verse 8, and let's read that again. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. Your text that you read might say something like, and they were terribly frightened. When the shepherds in the field were confronted with a mighty work of God, how did they respond? They responded with fear. They were afraid. Again, our English translations simply say, terribly frightened, greatly afraid, or terrified. But literally it is, as the ASV has it, they feared a great fear. It was appropriate for them to be afraid. They had every reason to be afraid because... They had met with an act of the Creator God. And I think sometimes that's lost on us. Because in our culture, we've become so familiar with God. We've become so familiar with, with who we think He is. In fact, in our culture, it's even unpopular to speak of a fear of God. Even of having a healthy reverence for God. In our culture, we want to give this picture of God as, as one with whom we can just crawl up into His lap and cuddle with Him, and we can come into His presence any way that we see fit. That's how we want to think of God. We don't want to offend anybody and tell them they can't come to God on their own terms, that they must come in the way that God, is, that God has given to us to approach Him. But you see, God is a jealous God. He's a holy God. And he's jealous for his own glory. And some would say, well, that, Chris, that's just a, that's a picture of God from the Old Testament, but not a picture of God in the New Testament. But we've learned in Hebrews, hasn't, haven't we? God hasn't changed. He doesn't change. In fact, we learned in Hebrews where it said, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. Why? Because our God is a consuming fire. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. In fact, as we read the Scriptures, all throughout the Scriptures, whether it's the Old Testament or the New Testament, when we see men met with the presence of God, they respond with fear. Or they respond with falling to the ground. In fact, Exodus chapter 34, God passed in front of Moses proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. 
Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. Moses bowed down to the ground at once and worshipped. When God revealed himself to Moses, even as the God who is long-suffering, the God who is kind, the God who forgives, even so Moses' response was to fall to the ground and to worship. When faced with the awesome character of God, he could do nothing else but worship him. When John was met by the Lord on the island of Patmos, where he wrote the book of Revelation, it says, when, he says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though I were, remember what he says? Dead. As though I were dead. When Jesus was on the boat with the disciples, remember that story where he calms the sea? It's interesting when you read that story carefully, it says that the disciples, while they were in the boat before the storm, they were afraid. But then what did Jesus do? Jesus said, be still. And he silences the sea and the storm. And then, you know what it says of the disciples? They were greatly afraid. We get that, don't we? At least we should get that. Because guess who's in the boat? God's in the boat. Right. Who said that? <laughs> Amen, brother. Amen. You're going to make a good Presbyterian. God's in the boat. And they saw it. Yeah, they were afraid of the storm beforehand, but now they realize this one in the boat, he calms the seas in the storm. Now they're greatly afraid. That's appropriate, isn't it? It's appropriate. And while that's an, a, a proper response, I want us to see the next thing in verse 10, because I, I love the way that this is set up, set up for us. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. It will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. You see, it is indeed proper to fear God. But why? To drive you to Him. To drive you to Him. Because it's in God where our salvation is found. It's in, it's in Him that we are safe. And you know, if you've been to Trinity Grace at any time, you know one of my favorite, favorite scenes is where Lucy asks Aslan. I mean, Lucy asks if Aslan is safe. And the response is safe. No, no, he's not safe. But he's good. But he's good. That's what we see here, isn't it? There's this wonderful irony in salvation where we escape God in God. We fear God so that it drives us to Him because in Him is our salvation. The angel says, good news. Good news of great joy. I mean, that's, that will be for all people. For today, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. That's good news. Today, the Savior has been born. The horn, the fulfillment of the promises to the fathers. God here is making good on His promise, as it were. The Messiah is here. The long-awaited Messiah has come. The Christ is born. The one who saves, the one who redeems, the one who delivers. This is the one. This is the one that you'll find lying in a manger. I, I, bet, I bet if 
You ask people on the street, and not just people on the street, if you ask people in the church, I think we've talked about that before here. You ask people even in the, in the broad church, what is Jesus' last name? You know how they probably answer? I say, oh, it's Christ, Jesus Christ. No, that's his title. In fact, I made a mistake in the bulletins this morning. Look, if you'll open it up to the children's, to the children's sermon there. You know, on the back of those in the, sermon, in the children's part, I always put in there for the children to be listening to a particular word. <clears throat> and I asked them to be listening to that word, to the word Christ. But as I wrote, wrote it out, I said, listen for the word, and then I put in parentheses, name Christ. No, it's not his name. It's his title. It's who he is. It's what he does. It's what he's accomplished for sinners like you and me. He is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He's the anointed one of God come to do his will. So why, why Chris, do we, are we emphasizing that? Why are we emphasizing the a proper response of fear to the power of God? Because brothers and sisters, <coughs> that actually is good news. If you could stand before God and not be afraid of him, then he's not a God to be worshipped. If you can stand before God and not be afraid of him, then he's not a God who also has the power to save. Because the power that produces fear is that same power that saves. And that's the power of God. So do we have a proper perspective of the presence of God? Do we have a healthy, proper fear of God? And not only is it proper to fear Him, but it's also proper to trust Him. So let's look at verse 12. <clears throat> and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. It was either last week or the week before that we heard from our Old Testament reading how King Ahaz would get, was given a sign of a child being born. And for King Ahaz, it was actually a sign of great judgment. But for those who believed, for, those, for God's people, it's actually a sign of great hope and of good news. This was the sign and the same thing here for the shepherds. A sign is given and it's a, good, and it's a sign of good news. And what is it? It is that you'll know that it's he because he's going to be wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. This is how you're going to know it's him. You're not going to miss him. You're not going to miss him. But again, notice the irony. Do you see the irony? The Savior, the Anointed One, the Messiah, the Christ. But you're going to find him in a manger wrapped in swaddling cloths. And so we see that contrast, don't we? That great descent from heaven's highest to earth's lowest, as it were. You'll find him in a manger. And then suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So the angels respond. The angels respond, glory to God in the highest. But I, I, every time I think about this, I wonder if I were one of these angels. And of course, if I were an angel, I wouldn't be thinking like I'm thinking. But if I were an angel thinking like I'm thinking, I would go, okay, I'm, I'm praising God because he, he commands us to praise. And I'm praising God because he deserves it. However, however, why are we praising this particular event in history? Because... God has humbled himself. The king has humbled himself and he's lying in a manger. Is that really something to, to rejoice over? 
to be, to be praising that the king has humbled himself. But that is the wonder of the incarnation, isn't it? It's the wonder of it. It's the marvel of it. Is that God has humbled himself. That God has come near. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, as John says. And then the shepherds. They could have responded in several different ways too, couldn't they have? Look at the way that the shepherd, well, they, they could have responded. They could have said, this doesn't make a lot of sense. I mean, if we're, if we're waiting for the king to come, if they knew their history, they knew the promises, but now we're going to find him in a, in a manger? That's pretty humble for a king to come, isn't it? But that's not how they responded, in fact. They had been confronted with the power of God, and how did they respond? They respond by Believing. They trusted the word of the Lord through the angels. Look at verse 15. <clears throat> when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. What did the shepherds do? How did they respond? They heard, they trusted, and they went. They heard, they trusted, and they went. What can we learn from that? How can we apply that to everyday life? We can pretty easily. True belief results in action. True belief results in changed behavior. True belief results in obedience to the commands of God. Do we say we believe and yet act out of accord? With that belief? Do we say we trust the word of the Lord and yet we act out of accord with that trust? And I, I know many of us struggle with that on a day-to-day -day basis. It's part of the Christian struggle, part of sanctification. But we can trust Him fully. In fact, I think sometimes for us it's I know we struggle with it, and sometimes we even think, you know, that, but some things just aren't really clear to us in the Scripture, so I'm not really sure how to respond to that. And then we th say things like, well, you know, if God would just write it on the wall for me, then, then I would know. But you know what we would do. If God wrote it up here for us, in detail, we'd look at that and we'd go, hmm, I'm not so sure. I'm not, I'm not sure that's right, God. Or we'd say, I just can't understand it enough to really think that that's what he's saying. We'd still do the same thing. We struggle with trusting him, but here's, we can trust him. Brothers and sisters, we can trust him. He's proved himself over and over and over again. So a proper fear, proper trust, and, and also a proper message. And we may say, well, what do we, what do we mean by that? Well, notice verse, <clears throat> notice verse 17. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. We all love good news. I think we do. And of course, we'll play that game with one another. We come home and we say, I've got good news and bad news. What do you want first? And some of us may be different in that. But wouldn't it be wonderful if the only thing anybody ever said to us was, I got some good news. Awesome. Let's hear it. We want to hear good news. We want to share good news. 
It's just natural for us to want to do that. I remember when my children were born. I wanted to tell everybody, I've got a new baby. When my grandson was born, I wanted to tell people, I've got a new grandson. Because that's exciting news. We want to share good news, isn't it? It's a natural thing to do. In fact, have you ever been told something that was so exciting, you just couldn't keep it to yourself? There's, everybody has these in their family where good news is good news, but you know that if you share good news with somebody as much as you want to trust them, that they're not going to say anything. They just can't keep their mouth shut. And two days later, you get a phone call and say, hey, I heard that you, and you're like, Oh, that's got to be so-and-so. Because I told one person outside of my nuclear family, and now it's out. Because why? Because they want to share good news. I wonder, I wonder if we think of the good news of Christ in that way. Is it good enough news to us that we actually desire to share it? Do we share it? How many of us can't, just can't hold that news in? When we run into somebody and we have a conversation, they say, I'm just really struggling. There's no hope in this world. And I, I don't even know the purpose of life. Do you just pat them on the back and say, so sorry, dude? Or do you say, oh, have I got some good news for you? Do you take that opportunity? Are we excited about the gospel? As we, are we as excited about the gospel as we are about all these other things in life that we're excited about? Now, that's not to guilt us into going to do something. I don't mean it that way. The way that I mean it is let, let's pray that God would give us that kind of heart. Because I'm like you. I've got to be honest. Sometimes I'm not that excited about it. I'd much rather hear some other type of good news. Because I, like you, struggle with becoming too familiar with it. Oh yeah, I've heard that before. Because I, like you, think that I don't really need it as much as somebody else might need it. I'm no different than you are in that way. But what a proper time, this time of year, to share that good news. This time of Christmas when our culture celebrates Christmas. I, I'm not big on Christmas, actually, to be honest with you. I'm not big on the Christian calendar. I mean, for after all, we celebrate Easter every Sunday. We don't need Easter. So I, I wouldn't care if we didn't celebrate Christmas. But it does give us an opportunity as a church, doesn't it? When the culture around us is celebrating something, it gives us the opportunity as the church to say, do you even know what you're celebrating? Let us share that with you. You are celebrating the birth of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. What an opportunity. Do we ever use it? Do we ever use it? The shepherds, the shepherds made known abroad what was told them. They, they, they made known the good news of Jesus as they returned. So what a proper time to turn others' minds to what we really celebrate. That it is not man ascending to God, but that God has descended to man. That he's come to earth. He came and he conquered. Yes, he came as a child, but no ordinary child was he. He was the Christ child.
And, and what message do we teach our children? Do we, do we use Christmas to actually teach our children further in the truth of the gospel? It's so easy to get caught up in the Christmas season. Whether we get caught up in all the gifts, whether we get caught up in all the chaos and the travel, whether we get caught up in the emotion of missing those that we love during that time, whatever it is, there's lots of distractions. But let's not be distracted from the story of the incarnation of Jesus Christ. And let's use it to teach our children and our family members and those around us. The shepherds spread the message. Do we have that same desire? Oh, that God would give us that same desire. Also, a proper wonder. Um, I could even say proper response, but a proper wonder. Look with me to verse 18. <coughs> Excuse me. And all who heard it, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. There is a there's a wonder to the mysteries of Christ's words and works. Do we respond to the word of God in that way? Do we, do we marvel at the excellencies of Christ? The reality of what he's done for us? Do we, do we spend time thinking about the gravity of what he's done? Um, Jesus says in John 5, he says, For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself is doing. And the Father will show him greater works than these, so that you will marvel... For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son also gives life to whom He wishes. Do we marvel at the wonder and the work of God? Do we marvel at the grace of God that He has stooped and He's condescended to save His people and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us? Do we let that sink in? We let it sink in. I think sometimes we don't. I think sometimes we all struggle with this. That we don't respond in these ways because after all, we just think, doggone it, we're good enough. We're like that old Saturday Night Live skit where the dude looks into the mirror and he goes, you're good enough, you're strong enough, you're this. And we just, we just pump ourselves up. And we, and we look at this and we don't think, what a worm am I in need of the grace of God, in need of the shed blood of Christ to forgive me of my sin. No, more than likely, and more often than not, or too often than we should, I'll say it that way, that we go, yeah, I can see why I'm part of the people of God. Because we look at our Twitter feeds, or X, now formerly known as Twitter, or our Instagram feeds, or Reddit, or whatever it is, our Facebook. Do people still use Facebook? We do, don't we? We look at that and we say, I, I'm definitely better than most of these people that I see. I can see why God would choose me. Oh, that God would show us our need so that we might respond with wonder for what God has done for sinners like you and like me. He loved us, brothers and sisters, while we were unlovable. He chose to love us. And that verse that we all know well, probably for many of us, is the first one we learn. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him shall have eternal life. So profound. So simple. Not easy. There's a difference. But simple. Christmas is about our faithful God 
who has given us the most precious gift, His Son, our Savior, who came from heaven to earth. I don't think we ever really begin to grasp this fully. 1 Peter 1 verse 12 says, It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you in these things which now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Now listen to this part. Things into which angels long to look. Even the angels who proclaim the Lord's coming, who serve Him in the heavenlies, even they long to look into the deep things of the gospel of Christ Jesus. Even the angels. Do we long to look into the wonder of the gospel? Do we marvel at the work of God in Christ Jesus? When we hear the first promise of the Redeemer in Genesis 3, when we read of Noah and his family being saved in the ark, when we read of the promise to Abraham, when we read of God providing the lamb in the stead of his son, when we read of God bringing his people out of captivity in Egypt, when we read of God sending his own son to bring his people out of the bondage of sin, do we long to look more fully into the gospel? Do we long to know our Savior more and more? I wish, I pray that that would my heart too. Do we marvel at the gospel message? And may we marvel, may we wonder, not only this Christmas season, but may we do so every day. May we meditate upon God and His great work. And when we do, there is only one proper response. We're about out of time. We'll finish up here. And that's giving praise. It's proper praise. That's proper. Verse 20. <clears throat> and the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. What, what a wonderful response. They returned glorifying and praising God. When we are presented with the good news of Jesus, that should be our response, shouldn't it? Praise. To give Him praise for what, for what He's done. But notice, notice this too. And I think this is important for us not to just pass over. These, these guys were shepherds. They were shepherds. They, what did they do afterwards? They went back to their fields. They went back, back to what they did for a living while praising God. Isn't that interesting? They didn't go back to their shepherding and forget about God. But neither did they go, okay, well, I'm supposed to praise God. I'm going to become a pastor and do that. No, that's not it. They went back to that which God had called them to do, but they did that which God had called them to do for His glory. Some of us need to be reminded of that, don't we? The impact and the effect of the good news wasn't a passing thing. They didn't go back to their jobs and forget about Christ. They continued in their praising and their glorifying. And so too for us when this Christmas time is over. May we not forget the glory of God. That's why, that, that's why brothers and sisters, this isn't just about Christmas. It, and let me just take this for a moment. Most of you aren't because I know most everybody here. But maybe. Maybe there's some that had visited in the first service. Or maybe there's some who visited in this service where you're coming with family and you only come to church on Sunday when it's Christmas or Easter. 
Can I please tell you to celebrate those things every week and not twice a year? Can I tell you that it will help you not forget about those things if you'll come to the weekly worship of God our Savior on, on a regular basis so that every week we're reminded of the wonder, the wonder of the gospel? And it's not just during Christmas or not just during Easter, but it's week in and week out. When Christmas is... and, and Again, I mentioned this earlier, it's one of the reasons why the Puritans sought to do away with the church calendar. Not to have any special holy days. Because for the believer in Jesus, every day is Christmas and every Sunday is Easter. The day that we celebrate the risen Christ, His victory over sin and death. We do have much to praise God about. We glorify Him for who He is and what He's done. And that affects every area of life. As a shepherd, the gospel affects the way one would shepherd and care for his sheep. As an attorney, the gospel affects the way one would represent another. As a vendor, the gospel affects the way one would, would sell or buy or get a product on a shelf. As a doctor... The gospel affects the way that one ministers physically to another. As a business owner, the gospel affects the way that one treats their employees. As an employee, the gospel affects the way one would, how one would work and treat his employer. The gospel affects everything. As a student, you children, the gospel affects the way that you do school. The effort you put into it. As a mother, as a father, a wife or son or daughter, the gospel affects everything you do and why you do what you do. Whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. Because after all, we are not working for the glory of man. Our purpose isn't to please man, but to please God. Glorify Him in the way that you work. Glorify Him in the way that you love your spouse. The way that you love your wife. The way that you love your husband. The way that you raise your children. All those things. Praise Him for the mighty things He's done. Praise Him and thank Him for condescending, for coming from heaven to earth to save us from our sins. Let's praise Him for visiting us with His salvation. Let's pray, shall we? Our God in heaven, what a joy it is to think about those wonderful things. And would it be that that would be our hearts? That we would respond with praise and living for Your glory. May we remember that not just this Christmas season, but every day. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>